Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello, and thanks for joining us for on another edition of Reach for Hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, when children are struggling with thoughts of suicide, it's especially tough on parents who don't often know where to turn. With us today to talk about suicide ideology from a parent's perspective is Kai Nordfeld, a parent of five and a small business owner. Welcome, Kai, and thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it, Melissa. Now, Kai, first of all, tell us what you do. Yeah, so right now I'm basically own an online business. And my wife and I, we both have online businesses and work from home. And like you said, we have five kids and live here in St. George. And it's a great place to raise kids. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, you previously to doing your online business uh, were the chair for the Washington County Youth Prevention Coalition. And you played a major role in, for years, helping kids and youth and teens to understand the damages and harms of drugs and alcohol. Tell me why you were so invested in that. Yeah. Early on when I was trying to figure out my career, um, I remember spending some time in the prison. I did some volunteer work there and I met with a lot of people and just kind of more listened to their stories. I I wasn't a therapist or anything, but as I listened to their stories, you know, the common thing that kept coming up was drugs, you know, drugs got them. They were, they were on under the influence when they hurt somebody or hurt themselves or, or robbed a store or whatnot. And, I thought, man, is there some way we could get ahead of this? Is there a way to prevent this from happening? And um, then I kind of centered it on drugs because if we can prevent a child, you know, a teenager from using drugs, you can prevent, you know, so many other problems that come later or, you know, as it goes on through life. So there's a lot of great science that shows how to do that. Um, a lot of it's just really trying to help change the environment or make it easier for parents to raise drug-free kids. So, for example, um, a couple, a lot of what we look at is more like policies, so we look at making it making it as least accessible as possible. So, for example, the most commonly abused drugs are marijuana, um, nicotine, and alcohol. And um, so particularly on nicotine and, and alcohol, you basically try to restrict it. You, you put, you know, that's why we have liquor stores. Uh, I know some people don't like Utah's um, alcohol laws, but actually there, there's a lot of great science that shows if your goal is to prevent underage drinking, um, these the laws that Utah has in place are excellent to do that while still giving adults reasonable access to drink. Uh, and so, you know, when you're, and again, on like uh, nicotine, like on vaping or cigarettes, you basically try to make it as expensive and also restrict it to certain stores. So for example, in Utah, you know, only certain products can be sold in smoke shops instead of actually, if you go back a couple of years ago, you could buy them at any store, any convenience store, you know, or, or gas station or, or grocery store. So, we just try to make it easier on kids to make the healthy choice by making it less accessible. It's as easy as, you know, thinking about, you know, I really love sugar. So, you know, if I'm going to have a cake out in my house all the time with a chocolate cake, like I'm going to eat it, like I'm going to consume it. So I've got to restrict it for myself unless, you know, if I want to make healthier choices, same principle is true with kids. Just make it harder for them to get access to it and you'll see less fewer of them using drugs. Yeah. And sugar is actually an addiction too. So, you know, that's anything. I think you can become addicted to almost anything, video games, anything (laughs) these days. Um, So when I was thinking about that, um, which came first though, the chicken or the egg, when it comes to 
sometimes kids are, are fine and then they start using drugs or alcohol after something changes in their lives. And that's what I want to talk about here is, mm-hmm. is that, you know, we, kids these days have a lot of peer pressure. They have social media. They have to want to be like that person on the TikTok or whatever that does this or that, mm-hmm. or they don't feel like they fit in. And so therefore they turn to the drugs and alcohol. I think education is key to that. Tell me how, as a parent with five children, how you've managed to try to, to get a handle on that, knowing all that you know. Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, you know, to be, uh, you know, fully disclosed. I mean, I, I worked in drug prevention my whole career up to this point, you know, um, 13, 14 years, and still, you know, my oldest child ended up using substances. So in my home, basically we apply you know, some of the best practices or what the science shows will help. So, you know, constantly we're talking to our kids about the harms of drugs. You know, we taught, taught them, um, we had them heavily involved in our church that we're part of, which is also shown as a protective factor. We had them involved in dance and, and um, you know, sports and other things that show, you know, if you get kids more involved in um, pro-social activities that recognize the good they're doing, uh, that they're less likely to use drugs. But even with all that effort, um, you know, my poor daughter fell victim to it, to the, you know, when you, when you think about it, these companies that sell it, you know, whether it's uh, um, e-cigarettes or alcohol, they spend billions of dollars trying to target particularly people who are vulnerable. And my daughter is vulnerable. One of the things you, you asked about education, I think every parent should, you know, understand their family history, the genes, the genetics that they have. That's really important. And that's something that we didn't fully appreciate, I don't think. But, you know, rich in our family history is... Um, you know, the seeds of addiction were, you know, not, not with me necessarily, but, you know, from, um, birth parents that passed it along. Um, also I think even more profound in this case was for my, for my poor daughter is the, um, depression and anxiety, you know, both sides from, from my wife's side and my side, it was rich history of this. And I don't, I didn't fully appreciate it, you know, as a young father raising my children, the impact that that would have. So, you know, my poor daughter, you know, really from young, uh, early on showed, you know, it's hard for me to identify it at the beginning. My wife was more sensitive to it, but just these signs of depression, you know, of, of feeling sad inside, feeling, you know, we're talking like early teens, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, um, just feeling sadness, you know, not, and trying to figure out why, not sure why, um, you know, and also I think kind of just struggling to connect with with people, you know, whether she was just a little bit, um, you know, she would, you know, move between friends or, um, particularly in her teenage years, which was, was concerning. But anyway, the point there is being able to understand, you know, what happened to our parents and our grandparents and what genes were passed down. The studies are, are really clear that that can, um, increase the likelihood that, and it doesn't mean that they're going to, mm-hmm. but it just makes them more at risk. It makes it more risk if they experiment with drugs or, or, or they don't, they go untreated with their anxiety or depression that it could really spiral out of, out of control, um, quickly. Yeah. And mental health is something that we don't often think about until it's too late. Yeah. Um, we're like, what's wrong with them or what's wrong with you? You're not listening to me. What's, yeah. what's the matter with you? Um, but like you said, they might not even know what's the matter yeah. with them because they're, they're not, they don't really have a handle on it. And that can be passed down, uh, through the DNA, mm-hmm. um, 
And we need to be aware of that, like you said, as far and as well as, you know, drugs and alcohol addictions. Um, so what warning signs then did you see or get from your daughter as far as uh, what you were dealing with with her? Did she mm-hmm. have did she start having suicidal thoughts? It's a great question. First, off, to kind of give a background. I mean, she was a straight A student, you know, so she was great at school. Um, you know, she held down two jobs at one point, you know, and this is like in her probably, um, when she really started experiencing, um, suicide ideation was more towards like her junior and senior year in in high school. Um, at least that's when it really started manifesting itself. But some of the warning signs were, um, and, and thinking back, you know, and I was just chatting with her about this, because thankfully we were able to catch it and, you know, she's still alive mm-hmm. today, which is so awesome because she's such a great person. Mm-hmm. So great to have in our lives is, um, you know, ev- like every parent, the, the pressure to, for her to get a phone and then, you know, to get social media is strong. So we resisted it for years, you know, just like, nah. Um, and I was just looking up this, the research today. And again, there's a, there's a real strong connection between social media and, and screen time, how much time a person or a child spends on their phone, um, playing video games or watching TV. You can add any of those in there. Um, but particularly social media seems to have this negative impact on their, the sense of their value, you know, um, can impact how they view themselves and think about themselves. And so we resisted it for a couple of years, but I think it was about age 14, um, is when we, we finally gave in to her. My wife was just telling me today that it was a counselor at school that said, you know, maybe that's a battle you shouldn't fight. Uh, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what the best answer is. I don't know that I have all the right answers, but um, talking to my daughter recently, she just mentioned she thought maybe that was a little early for her. So anyway, that what we found over time is she found is we found her more and more, some of the warning signs, more and more on her phone. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to pull her off of it, trying to, you know, help her get involved in some of the other activities that she she normally did and enjoyed. Um, finding her kind of withdrawing from us, you know. Um, obviously, the more in tune you are with your child, and I can't say that I completely was, but my wife was better than I um, in that. But when she, you know, she would withdraw herself from us. She wouldn't spend as, she spent as little, particularly she got into her 15 and 16 year, year old um you know, less time at our house, you know, wanting, not wanting to spend much time with us. And I, you know, and obviously it, it, those, that's almost those, a typical yeah, exactly, teenager. Exactly. So <laughs> they can be challenging. It can be challenging yeah. to identify. Right. And then some of the other warning signs were just different friends. She would, she would come home with friends, but she seemed to struggle to connect deeply with friends. So it, one week would be one group or one month and the next month would be another group. And, you know, this, the scary thing about that as a parent is you don't know, you know, what, what group is she going to end up in and what kind of influences? Cause we know that friends make a, a big impact on what kids do. So those are, those are a couple warning signs. She began to express to us these feelings of depression, you know, early on 12, 13. So we got her access to a therapist. A lot of times she didn't like it and she didn't really want to take, take it serious. Um, you know, as she got older into her 15 and, you know, 16 year old, um, we were able to help her, you know, get access to medication that can help with depression. Cause she just felt such a, you know, such a sadness, you know, that she couldn't kind of, I mean, she's a great person. It's, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't, it was an uh, unusual sadness. It, there's no, there's no reason other than biological that her brain just wasn't producing dopamine or serotonin or something like it, like it should, but she didn't really want to take, you know, the medicines, medicines as prescribed. So it, 
you know, just added to her depression, her sadness. Yeah. And sometimes they do. And they even have warnings on the bottles and the labels about that. You know, yeah. it's really a tough situation to, as a parent to try to figure out what to do at that point. So what did you do then after that to try to reach out for help? Where did you go um, after yeah, that? So it kind of came to a head in between her junior and senior year. I was out working on my car and I got this call from her and she was frantic about, um, you know, telling me to come right now and, um, and that she was in trouble and that, you know, she needed help. And so I ran out, I, I got my car and drove her to where she was and she was with a cop and we didn't know at the time, but she'd started, um, vaping, you know, you, um, and again, it, you know, it's tough for me as a, this was my profession, you know, I've, I'm supposed to be able to prevent people in the community from doing, I should be able to prevent my own daughter. Right. Um, and she had gotten some and then also shared some with her friend and her friend had allergic reaction to it and stopped breathing. Oh, and so, no. um, it was really traumatic for her and traumatic, obviously for her friend. Thankfully her friend, uh, you know, ended up being fine. But, um, but at that point we realized that we needed to do something more than what we were currently doing. I didn't, I didn't really know all the answers. Um, at the time, a couple of resources that we, we did reach out to was, uh, the Southwest behavioral health reached out to people that we know there asked for, you know, different, um, ideas and suggestions. We had a therapist that she was already meeting with. So we chatted with, um, with therapists to, to get ideas. We also ended up going on to, um, it's called drugfree.org, drugfree.org. It's, uh, it's a partnership. The, the actual website is called partnership to end addiction. Uh, the way that what had happened was because of her use of drugs, she ended up feeling so guilty and crappy about herself when she came off the drugs that she just wanted to end her life. That's how kind of the suicide part came into That's it. That's when they come down. Exactly. Yeah. So she just was sick of it and sick of living and didn't want to live anymore. Um, but anyway, at the drugfree.org, when you go on there, there's a, an actually a parent um, hotline. You can call it and parents who are trained to help and assist can give you some ideas and suggestions in terms of how to interact. They, they These are parents that have had been in your same shoes and can provide some some guidance and help to kind of think through this crisis situation. So how is she doing now and how old is she? She's doing good right now. I just met, I just had lunch with her yesterday. Um, you know, right now she's, uh, almost 20. Um, you know, she's, um, and yeah, it was, it's great to have her, you know, is it, is it perfect? It's not, you know, it's, it's still a challenge. Um, you know, but we continue to work with her and connect with her and, and, you know, we keep her in our lives and, and, you know, show her that we love her and just try to support her the best that we can, um, where she'll let us and, uh, you know, cause she's an adult. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it was, she seems to be in a good place right now. Well, I think the most important message here is that you never gave up yeah. and as a parent and as loving parents, you never gave up. Mm -hmm. You just said, what are we going to do now? What's the next? And you, you never gave up. Yeah. And and because she saw that in you, I think that support system right there that it 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 saved her life. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and we did have the other thing is, um, and you promote this all the time, and I appreciate that is the QPR training: question, persuade, and then refer. Refer. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and we applied that numerous times with her. You know, uh, we would be direct, and I didn't I didn't know that I should be that direct with her in terms of asking her. You know, is she thinking about suicide? You know, at the time I didn't know what to say. But after getting that training and understanding it, that helped me out a lot. So that's another training that parents should definitely get is that QPR training to know to be direct and ask them about it and then refer them. So, you know, again, we've referred to a variety of resources. In the end, we actually sent her off to, because uh, her, her substance abuse got so intense, we ended up sending her out to a wilderness therapy where she lived out in in the in the mountains for about 40 days. 
it was right during the winter, about this exact time. Oh, burr. And it was, so it was freezing and stuff, but that was really helpful to get her clean and help get her more clear-minded. Yeah. And, and, and those can work for people. I mean, they really have proven to be successful. It it saved her life. It was, it's more of a acute intervention. You know, basically you're just trying to help them, you know, shock them into try, you know, into getting clean. And that's what, what she did, which was great. And we got our daughter back for a while. You know, when she came back, you know, she did relapse, but, um, you know, you just kind of work with her. And that's the her. thing. She could relapse again. Right. If she doesn't keep that power of positive thinking and, yeah. and, and use some of the tools and resources that they probably yeah. gave her during that time um, at, when she was in, in there. So, you know, I think I'm hearing that it's important not to feel like you're alone in this. Right. Um, there's probably other parents that have dealt with similar things. Was there anything else that you did as a parent to reach out to maybe support groups or anything out there that, that yeah. had similar issues? Yeah. There, my wife on social media, you know, she began to kind of share part of her journey, you know, with uh, the experience with our daughter and, it was amazing, you know, how many came out of the woodwork saying, oh, we have the same thing with our daughter. And, and my wife has had a, a ton of opportunities to kind of help coach and help some of her friends along. But at the time, it was nice to have friends that we knew, you know, were experiencing, so we knew we weren't alone. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a very, it was a very difficult time for my wife and I during that time, very dark um, at times, you know, really, um, you know, kind of in crisis mode. You know, the last time before we sent her off to wilderness, um, you know, Thankfully, QPR training is done in, in the schools and among teenagers, and teenagers know about it. And so um, one of her friends that my wife didn't even know, somehow she got her number, got my wife's number, and texted her and said, hey, you know, you got to find Caitlin. She's in trouble right now. And so we couldn't find her for about 30 or 40 minutes, but we def- we finally located her. And coach, you know, my wife, she didn't want to come home, but coached her into coming home, you know, and, uh, and at that point we, we knew we needed to do a more aggressive, you know, intervention at the time we'd only been doing therapy, like outpatient therapy, but that's where we got her into full residential. And, um, and she told us that she was planning on right before, you know, my wife connected with her, she was planning on just, you know, running onto I-15, you know, and ending it that way. And so, you know, we're grateful for that you know, her friend that had the courage to, you know, contact my wife and tip her that this was going on. So these, these trainings in the schools are really important for these teens to know what to do, how to recognize it and to, you know, you intervene because yeah. that girl saved our, my daughter's life. And they have hope squads in there and yes. there's counselors and stuff. But a lot of times um, they don't want to talk to strangers. Yeah. They might want to talk to a friend. And that's mm-hmm. probably how this friend got it from her. Thank God yeah. that that friend did reach out. We're here talking about Reach for Hope. You're uh, a member of Reach for Hope mm-hmm. Suicide Prevention Coalition. Why did you join? Really? I mean, this issue it touches, you know, our lives. And if there's something that we can do and and help, we want to do it, you know, so it's great to be able to work with you as the chair and other great people that are on the coalition uh, to support these important events. So uh, glad to be part of it. Yeah. And we uh, are working on training sessions for people to learn that QPR, to know how to use our words um, and to be more positive and connect and be a source of resources for the community. That's what it's all about. We've shared the Live On campaign and all of these great resources that are out there. It's just you got to catch it in time. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to hear your success story there. 
Uh, at what point do you think that we realize as parents that we can't place blame on ourselves? I'm sure that was going through yeah. you and your wife's heads and that mental health is just as important as going in for a physical. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's not an easy one. It took me some serious, you know, thought and therapy to kind of work through to see kind of what my role was. I think that was one of the helpful things about the residential treatment that she got was we were able to probably the most helpful thing. And I think, you know, as I look back, this might be helpful for some parent is, um, the therapist that we had early on, like it was, it wasn't a marriage and family therapist. So she would go into a room, talk to the therapist. We had no idea what she was saying. And basically, you know, probably talk about how she wasn't too fond of us, you know? Mm -hmm. So she came out of it and there was no real connection or solution, um, to try to, to solve what the differences in our relationship. But when we were in the residential, um, you know, this outdoor rec or the, um, outdoor therapy, we were assigned a therapist that our daughter had as well. So she would go in and, uh, this therapist would go in and talk to my daughter and tell my daughter, look, there's certain things I'm going to, I'm going to share with your parents because we want to, we want to heal this relationship. At this point, our relationship was really bad. It was rough. And, um, so she would go in, get the key, you know, not share everything, but with us, but come back and tell us, Hey, this is what is causing a bit of a divide between you and her and, and how you could, you know, work a little bit more closely with her and help her. And so we would take that and be, okay, good. I didn't, you know, I didn't understand exactly what she was experiencing. So it, it brought us together as a family, instead of having her off on with her a therapist or us off with our therapist. And there's no, no resolution, no, um, connection to it. So I think that relates kind of what you're saying, you know, those are some tools to help you know, improve mental health, recognizing it. But I think, I, I do think a family approach, it's important. Sometimes I think it was kind of a waste of money to pay the therapist that she just kind of went in and complained to, because we never really got, you know, we re over time we realized we had a part that we played. We, we caused some of, uh, or we didn't help improve some of her, you know, uh, you know, some of the depression or anxiety, yeah, her, her feelings. feelings yeah. We needed, we had, a, we had a part of it, not, not a whole, not everything, but, but you have to recognize that. And, yeah. and the other thing is though, that not everybody's going to have the same reaction. And I think parents react mm -hmm. instead of be proactive maybe. Yeah. And that's, that's our true. job as parents is to say, okay, why'd you do this or what's mm -hmm. going on? And why can't you do that? And yeah. instead of, instead of saying, how can we help you? And we're not understanding and maybe being more open-minded with, um, not being the role of a parent at that point, but more yeah. of a friend and saying, you know, we love you and mm -hmm. we want to help and support you. What advice then, uh, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, do you have for parents out there that might be having similar issues? Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I think the advice I would give would be, um, you know, again, the marriage family therapist uniting, find a way to unite your, your, your child with you, you know, have them work, work in the same direction. Don't work in opposite directions with a different therapist. I think that was super helpful and to heal, heal our relationship. Um, you know, never give up on them. Always stay, you know, it can be exhausting. And sometimes I, I had to take a time out. Like there was times where I just couldn't, I couldn't handle the constant, you know, cause we, we would drug test her, you know, and the constant disappointment, you know, she would fail the drug test or she would, um, do things behind our backs that, you know, wasn't part of what we taught her, you know? Uh, so sometimes you have to take a time out. I had to take a time out. There was times when I was just, my wife just had to take over, you know, there was times I took over for her. So we kind of, you know, tag teamed it. Thankfully our marriage survived that because there are some marriages that don't survive it. We were able to do it unitedly. So that was good, but yeah, stay close to them, love them. Um, don't give up on them. Um, 
you know, seek the best professional help you can find and can afford. I think Southwest Behavioral Health is probably the best affordable one in terms of, you know, because it doesn't uh, cost as much. Um, and just persevere, just, you know, keep moving forward. Um, and, you know, a lot of it for us is our faith in God and our belief that, you know, that he's there to help us too. So that, that faith, I think, is a really important aspect of it or can help out as well. Yeah. And that's what what hope is, is faith, right? I mean, it's really tough to to say, oh, okay, well, if you didn't have that faith, what would you be turning to? And yeah. maybe sometimes during those addictions and those problems that, or whatever that the, the children are having, that they don't have faith at that mm-hmm. point. They're, they've lost it somewhere. They don't have hope. Yeah. Um, so a good reminder is to inject some of that back in there and mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, things, things aren't that bad. They're going to get better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we all slip up in life. We all make mistakes. But guess what? Tomorrow's another day. And yeah. you work and work on that goal tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And... You know, the way I look at it is nothing is as bad as it really seems at the moment. And so to take those tools that they teach you and say, okay, I'm going to think about this a little bit and then figure it out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can be forgiving and and think about those things, I think it works out better. So I just like to thank you so much for sharing and so that other families can get through this. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, hopefully your life's experiences will help other families figure out where they should go in the future. And I'm so glad to hear that your daughter's doing better. And let's just uh, keep our faith and uh, our hope out there. And if anybody out there has, uh, you know, any uh, wants to take this training, uh, Reach for Hope uh, has uh, QPR training. and, And so you just look for that. So thanks for joining us. And remember, there is always hope. Thanks. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call or text the Suicide Crisis Lifeline at 988 because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.